Status. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about ignore that court order. Mark Meckler, CEO of the Convention of States, joins me. And Biden wants to bankrupt the oil industry. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. The White House has a substitute spokesperson because the usual spokesperson, Jen Psaki, is off on medical leave, having been fully vaccinated and came down with COVID. Leaving that aside, her replacement, at least temporary replacement, uh, whose name is Katrina, her name is actually Karina, Karine Jean-Pierre, she's a deputy press secretary. She actually announced that despite the Fifth Circuit Court, a federal court of appeal granting a temporary restraining order telling the Biden administration they should not continue with the mandate that they've come up with through OSHA telling essentially all employers in America with 100 or more employees that they have to require their employees to be vaccinated. The actual order goes into effect January 4th, but leading up to that, the idea was employers understand this this uh, edict from the Biden administration. If you have 100 more employees, you must vaccinate your employees. And then secondly, if you have people who don't get vaccinated, they have to wear masks at work starting in December, and they have to have a COVID test once a week. Many, many serious constitutional lawyers, just pragmatic people are saying, why is this even the, go- the job of the government, this mandate for vaccines? And so the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal, as I, we talked about recently on this show, they actually issued an order, a temporary restraining order, saying you know, to the Biden administration, you cannot enforce this. What's really, I mean, the language is not a lengthy order out of the, out of the Fifth Circuit, but they actually said the case raises, the petitions in front of them raise grave statutory and constitutional issues. Grave statutory and constitutional issues. So the Fifth Circuit says that. They may, it's unequivocal, temporary restraining order, don't go forward with the mandate. And yet the White House acting press secretary said, actually said on behalf of the White House, people should not wait. They should continue to move forward and make sure they're getting their workplace vaccinated. And I just wanna say, Number one, I, I know we've talked about in the show many, many times, you have to keep asking yourself, why is this vaccine hysteria continuing? Why? We had Peter Navarro on the show on yesterday, I guess it was, seems like a long, no, Monday, uh, where he, and he was talking about the whole idea that, um, you know, in the White House, this, you know, discussion to rush to the vaccine was to get the vaccine ready, but that he reported on being inside the White House, how Dr. Fauci, other people high up, NIH, CDC, FDA people, fully aware that in America, doctors across the country were saying, you know, actually we have these really great treatments that are working very well, hydroxychloroquine, inhaled budesonide, ivermectin, and you could not get Fauci and team off the dime to offer that kind of really life-saving care to the American people. In fact, the statements out of Fauci and, and everyone at his, and his team was to say, these are dangerous, unknown, don't do it, don't take ivermectin, don't take hydroxychloroquine, don't take inhaled budesonide, leading to the deaths of many Americans, as Peter Navarro said in the show. What I just wanna to get to in this is, what is the reason that the Biden administration is so fixated on forcing the vaccine on well, on just on working people for one thing, their Surgeon General said four or five days ago that they're actually considering a further order for employees, employers with fewer than 100 employees, forcing that on, on America. And 
At the same time this is happening, you have not just this one case that was brought before the Fifth Circuit, but you actually have numerous other states, the attorneys general in numerous other states, bringing litigation, different pieces of litigation uh, being brought in the federal courts. The courts are going to actually have a system where if a case is raising the same issue, a series of cases, they kind of put them all into a lottery, put them together, and, and the lottery determines which district court, which um, circuit court eventually, which circuit gets the case. And so you have many attorneys general raising the issue, and it's, it's, so it's going to end up in some court anyway, the, the litigation. And you have ultimately the case many people assume is going to uh, end up at the Supreme Court. I, as I have asked you many times, ask yourself why. Why is this administration so driven to force the vaccine on people, given the unprecedented numbers of death and injuries in their own website, death and injury from these vaccines, despite the fact many effective treatments are available but not being followed, and despite the fact that, as many doctors have been saying, and the CDC's numbers will tell you, virtually for almost all of America, there's a 99% recovery rate. Please process that. For most people, unless you have a pre-existing health condition, you are obese, you are very, very senior, you're, you're going to be fine, especially if you take the medications these doctors are prescribing. So the, this Biden administration is saying, you know what? I, we, we can't even wait. We can't even wait to find out the result of this temporary restraining order. You know, this is a freight train down the tracks, you know, um, just, just not going to stop. We don't care what the government says. We don't care what the courts say. It's a violation of separation of powers. And again, it ought to make thinking Americans ask themselves, why? Why is this vaccine being pushed like no other vaccine in American history, given its astonishing harm to people who are reporting their injuries and deaths and the CDC's information, the VAER database, and when people recover from it and pushing it on children? I, it is just unprecedented. And this is the, the, the Biden administration saying, we don't care about separation of powers. We don't care what that court said. We want it. And I'll tell you one of the quick things, just kind of a, two of the quick things. One is there are growing protests around the country. There was a big protest in Los Angeles, I think on Monday. It was prompted by the firefighters who don't want to have to get the vaccine. Big, big protests, you know, in the streets saying we don't want this vaccine mandate. Protests, as we were counted in the show many times, New Zealand, Australia, all over the world saying, why are we treating this as the justification for tyranny? Then the people have no response. And one last thing I'll just pause. Oh, there's actually, they're also planning big marches coming up over the next several days around the country. People just trying to find a way, a voice to saying to the government, why are you doing this to us? One last thing I'll hit, then we'll turn to our guest today. And that is the CEO of Pfizer, one of the uh, lucky organizations, uh, pharmaceutical companies that produces one of these vaccines being mandated and forced on the people, actually said in an interview, the guy's name, Pfizer's CEO is um, Albert Bourla. He said, people who spread misinformation on COVID-19 vaccines are criminals. Criminals. Not the death floor from the vaccines, not the fact we raced through uh, to get the vaccines ready and haven't been tested. They're all under emergency use authorization. Maybe one of them is now out of that category. We had these organizations that want to have the vaccines pushed on the people while existing medications, which we've been talking about, you know, I don't know how many times on this show. In fact, you had, I want to remind you again, if you didn't see our show on Monday, I think it was, Monday or Tuesday, maybe it was yesterday, um, there was a, an amazing hearing in the U.S. Senate nearly a year ago, December 2020, where a doctor from Minnesota or someplace like that came before a Senate committee to explain that when COVID came out, he and a bunch of his doctor friends kept asking themselves, why doesn't the CDC, the NIH, the FDA, why isn't any of the, why isn't there any effort within those entities to look for potential, as he said, repurposing existing medications? because we had COVID come along and everybody acted in those agencies like we don't have any medications in existence in the United States of America to have to scramble around and push your vaccines. And he said, he and his uh, fellow doctors, he's been a doctor uh, two decades or more, 
they began diving in, looking at existing medications to see would they be effective in treating COVID. And he actually said, he was so frustrated, he's practically, I mean, he's just, you can see he's bursting with anger trying to get this point out. He's saying to the Senate a year ago that they concluded that ivermectin, through their actual studies on patients who had COVID, that ivermectin was, in his words, a miracle working, a miracle treating COVID. He said, I don't use that word lightly. I'm talking people, you know, sick with COVID two days uh, later, all better with ivermectin. And yet we still are floundering around in, at this point, we're nearly the end of 2021, nearly a year later, and all we're hearing out of the government is a push on vaccines, ignoring what doctors around the country have been trying to say. There are other ways to take care of people, less dangerous. Ivermectin, along with hydroxychloroquine, along with budesonide, been around forever. Inexpensive, which is probably why the pharmaceutical companies don't like it very much. Inexpensive, widely available, and effective. And yet what we're hearing out of Washington is, it's such an emergency to force these vaccines on people that we don't even want to listen and we're not going to follow the a federal court of appeals. People, something very, very sinister is afoot. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I mentioned we had a gentleman joining us on the show. This is Mark Meckler. Uh, he is the CEO of the Convention of States, uh, which has uh, been the, the most interesting, interesting project in America, I will tell you in short order, the idea uh, is whether you can use Article 5 of the Constitution, which we have right here, we have our Constitution, Article 5, to bring about a convention. I think Mark was on with me two years ago or more. I don't know when it was, but in any case, Article 5 gives a basis for a, holding a, a convention to potentially make changes to the Constitution. And uh, this has been you know, fought out on the on the conservative side, and people who say they're conservative, they're all in favor of it. Others say they're conservative, they're all against it. And um, but it's moving along. There are provisions in the Constitution that say how you have to proceed. So, and I saw Mark at an, a meeting. I don't know when that was. Anyway, saw him at a meeting uh, a few months ago, and just said, "Love to have you back on. Talk about how we're doing, and to kind of answer what the um, concerns of some people who are against it." So, I'd like to welcome Mark Meckler. Glad to be here with you. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. Okay. So um, I want to just start with, I have, as I said, I have a happy constitution. Uh, clearly it provides for, um, Article 5 allows the, um, you could have amendments to the constitution originate in the, in the Congress, but it also provides for application of legislatures. You have to have two-thirds of the states can call a convention and then if the states have to ratify it, so you have two thirds of the legislature of the states, and then you have to get three quarters of those to confirm the whatever changes you want to make to whatever the amendments are. So, what did just start with? What is what drive you? What drove you to get this whole process started? Well, really, what it was was political experience. So, I was one of the co-founders of the Tea Party Patriots, which was the largest Tea Party organization in America. And my experience in politics was in 2010, we elected the largest swing class in the history of the country since 1938, and they did nothing. Nothing changed. I thought we sent a message to Washington, D.C. It seemed like it was loud and clear. But what I realized is we didn't really have a personnel problem as much as a structure problem. Our systems have been broken, especially over the last 115 years. If you put good people into a bad system, you're going to get bad results. That's what we're experiencing in Washington, D.C. Of course, we need to continue to elect the best people we possibly can. But we need to make some structural fixes to our system that have been broken primarily by the Supreme Court and the lower federal courts over the last 115 years. Okay, wasn't one of your uh, initial... Um missions and maybe i misunderstood this was it in part to try to get term limits which i mean honestly uh, among all the reasons to have a constitutional convention if you can get term limits because we'll <laughs> never get those folks out of office wasn't that one of the uh goals yeah there are actually three subject matter areas for the convention one is anything that would impose term limits and i think this is really important it's not just on congress it's on the deep state, the bureaucracy, the staffers, and also the federal judiciary. We need to have term limits on all of those if we're going to have term limits on Congress. Otherwise, we just empower the deep state. Number two is anything that would impose fiscal restraints. So that would include a balanced budget amendment, tax caps, spending caps, things like that. Number three, and I think this is the most important, Debbie, is anything that would impose scope and jurisdiction restrictions on the federal government. And what that means is 
There are certain things they're supposed to do. Those are the enumerated powers. They're not supposed to do anything else. They do a lot more than the enumerated powers mm -hmm. today. So we need to put some very specific limitations to put the federal government back in the constitutional box. Okay, that is music to my ears. Honestly, you know, I, I love the Constitution. I love the founders' vision for America. I love the notion of a limited federal government. And it seems like it's been so long, and many uh, of the excuses for expanding the federal government's power, when the justification was, well, yeah, under the Commerce Clause, and you can justify anything. You could justify, you know, regulating shoelaces. But, um, but go back to, so the, the big picture you're pushing or, or you're advocating is these three points, the term limits, uh, which I love, by the way, the deep state term limits. I mean, I mean, like every employee in the federal bureaucracy. Yes. Be great. Oh, okay. Fiscal restraints and scope and jurisdiction of federal government. So how does that work? So you take it to a state. You don't have yet within these three categories, you don't have exactly what you want. And then every legislature signs on has to agree with everything you want. Or, or, or do you? How does that work? No, this is what's called a subject matter application. What that means is what the legislatures are going to agree to is what's the subject matter for debate and discussion at convention. These conventions were always designed to be deliberative bodies. And if you were to try to propose a particular amendment or package of amendments, what you would find is literally be impossible to get 34 states to agree upon the specific wording of every single amendment. So what you do is you agree on subject matter. Everybody pretty much agrees we need to do those three things in one way or another. And then you get into convention and you'll debate particular amendments in their language. Okay, so I know you said it's, uh, it's two it's, uh, yeah, two-thirds to get the convention, three-quarters legislatures to pass it. So in two-thirds, so, so this means not the people of the state, but the legislature itself. You got two-thirds of the legislatures in the country to sign on to have a convention. And then at the convention... Is it accurate that once you have, if they've agreed to these three subject matters, what if someone brought in something about, you know, no more wars or let's take away the Second Amendment or something right. that was unrelated? What, what prevents that? Yeah, it's exactly like a legislature operates. They'll likely be operating according to Mason's rules. That's about 70% of the legislatures use those. And so somebody would raise their hand, somebody from a conservative state, and would say that's non-germane to the matter at hand. And they would be gaveled as out of order simply for bringing up something that's non-germane. Remember, 34 legislatures, two-thirds of the legislatures are setting the rails for this thing. And they will have said that these are the only three things that we're willing to discuss at convention. So that becomes the outer limits on the convention. Who conducts the convention? So each state chooses its own slate of delegates. They could choose one or more. Every state gets a single vote, but they could send more than one delegate. They're actually called commissioners at the convention. They will gather in convention. They will form up and decide who the leaders of the convention will be. They'll, I'm sure they'll be lobbying and pushing on each other on fellow states, working together. And they'll come up with and elect the officers of the convention. They will allow create their own set of said we expect it will be mason's rules as 70 percent of the legislatures out there today use mason's rules for those who aren't familiar with those it's similar to something like robert's rules of order for a legislature they will then vote on those rules and that's when they'll begin to deliberate okay and so once the convention begins so say you get your two-thirds of the states you have the convention does congress have any control over the convention Congress has no control over the convention, though the Constitution gives them two specific legal duties. We as lawyers would call these ministerial or secretarial duties. And what it says is that Congress names the time and place of convention. So they'll say, when and where does this thing start? We expect that they'll call it in Washington, D.C. Every state leader I've ever talked to in a legislature says they'll convene in D.C. for one day, then they'll gavel out and move somewhere to the center of the country. So that's what our expectation is. And then the second thing they get to choose, uh, the only other role for Congress, is they will choose the method of ratification. The Constitution specifies two potential methods of ratification. One is by legislative ratification, the same way that they're passing these resolutions, both houses voting on it and approving or disapproving. And the second is what are called state ratifying conventions. Those are not defined in the Constitution. We've only used them once in American history. That was for the repeal of prohibition. I think one of the interesting sort of side notes on this is even if this, the uh, Congress chooses state ratifying conventions, 
it's up to each state to decide what their own state ratifying convention looks like. That decision is made by the legislature. So one way or another, this is a process, the ratification process at the state level is controlled by the state legislature. So the legislature could say that their their ratifying convention is going to consist of the legislature. Absolutely could do exactly that. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And then so the other method, this method of ratification, you're saying is legislative. I'm, I'm sorry. What was the first choice? If you don't have a state ratifying, it's just the yeah. The first is itself. legislative ratification. That's done exactly the same as we're doing to pass the resolutions. In other words, each of the houses in a state legislature would have to vote on any proposed amendment, and it would take both houses agreeing and and passing that amendment in order for their vote to be cast for ratification. Okay. So. The Congress, I mean, there are a lot of people worried that Congress somehow gets in the middle of it. You feel it's clear. I mean, you're a lawyer by background, but yes. um, you think it's clear from the way the Constitution structured this that the Congress simply cannot get in the middle of it. It's clear from the language of Article 5, but it's also clear from the history of Article 5 as a textualist. And, and I argue I like the word contextualist because I want to use the context and the text. We have Madison's notes. We understand exactly why this clause of Article 5 is in there. It was put in there because Colonel George Mason said that we couldn't trust a federal government that became a tyranny to propose amendments to restrain their own tyranny. In other words, what he was expressing is explicitly at some point, we may need to cut the federal government out of the amending process and turn it over to the states. He proposed the second clause of Article 5. It was actually drafted and submitted uh, by Elbridge Gerry. And that's the language we have. So the entire process was designed to exclude Congress, to exclude the presidency, to exclude the courts, <laughs> and to turn the process over to the states. Okay. So then, so they say. I mean, I, I really, I, I will tell you. I, I'll tell our listeners too. I, um, I, I gave a speech last night, and you know, it was um, I had someone come up after I was done. Not on the convention of states. I was actually on another topic. But in any case. Someone came up afterwards and just said, what's your position in Convention of the States? And Mark, here's my answer. I said, well, I used to be very much for it. I, th I thought, I mean, anything to get the power away, long-term, decades-long power away from elected officials who will never listen to the people once they're in Washington. Um, but then I was concerned about it because I heard many conservative organizations saying essentially that, you know, once the convention starts, someone's going to show up and say, let's just take away the Second Amendment. Um, or let's just say, you know, uh, whatever, you know, let, let's end the yep. right of women to vote, so, some crazy thing. But let me ask you this. So isn't even the process you're describing, you still have each state sending one um, delegate, one voting delegate. So if the right. state was against what you're trying to do here, or some delegate, you know, deluded them into thinking that he or she was in favor of all this and they weren't, I mean, isn't still whatever ends up happening still within the power of the collected delegates who could get, who could be engaged in subterfuge? I mean, is, is there, I'm trying to figure out why these people on the conservative side have, have, have been so strongly opposed this. Well, those, there's two different questions there and I'd like to address both of them in sequence. First is, on the, the real question you're asking first is what they call the runaway convention. Can a, can a convention actually run away? And the answer is no, it's it's factually absurd. It's not that complicated. It's actually simple math. Let's presume that I'm wrong about that. The convention actually can run away. They could do whatever they want. Let's say there are no safeguards. Uh, this belies human nature, by the way, because all the states are commissioning their delegates and sending them with particular instructions. But let's say I'm wrong. It all gets out of control. The Second Amendment is the one I hear all the time, Debbie. And by the way, sitting on my legal advisory board is Chuck Cooper, the longest term outside litigator for the NRA. He's written a letter saying it's outrageous that people think we could damage the Second Amendment with this. Put that all aside and just do simple math. And I've, I'll have i give this offer. My personal email address is mmeckler, M-M-E-C-K-L-E-R, at cosaction.com. And I'll make this challenge. I've made it to millions of people. If you're worried about it, show me the 38 states that will ratify the amendment that you're worried about. Just make a list and send them to me and I'll call you personally and have the conversation. Mm. I've made that offer to millions of people. I've received precisely zero emails. And the reason is if you sit down and you think about it and you look at the structure of the country, it's literally impossible. On the second amendment, for example, today in the United States of America, there are 24 legislatures where you can carry your handgun. I know this personally, I've done it in a lot of my travel with my weapon. I get a lot of threats. So I carry wherever I can. You can carry that handgun in 24 state legislatures. You can sling a long gun across your back in, I think, 15 legislatures and literally sit in the gallery with a long gun across your back. 
So now somebody's going to tell me that you can't find 13 state legislatures or one house in 13 state legislatures that would not ratify the repeal of the Second Amendment. And the answer is, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, the Dakotas, Wyoming, even Virginia is a Texas, shell issue state. Texas. Texas, by the way, yeah. Texas does not fall, statistically speaking, even among the 13 most conservative states in America. So this is what's so outrageous. I can promise you this, and I've been in 48 states in the last couple of years, the legislatures in most of them. If you walk into any of those states and you tell those legislatures that you want them to take up the repeal of the Second Amendment, I hope you're carrying your firearm because you're going to get chased out by a bunch of heavily armed legislators. It's literally just impossible. This is a negative <clears throat> fantasy. And, and I want to add, Debbie, and this is the second part of the question, where's this come from? Why are these conservatives, and there are, I would say it's about 10% of conservatives are worried about that. Where's that come from? And I can tell you exactly where it comes from. <coughs> 1973, we get Roe versus Wade. And the worst, I, I think the most evil decision in American history, over 60 million dead because of Roe versus Wade. States start passing Article 5 applications to overturn it. Uh, along the way, Phyllis Schlafly, a great woman, becomes friends with Chief Justice Warren Burger, the guy who gave us Roe versus Wade. And she asks him what he thinks about the idea of a convention. She pens a letter and he says it's a terrible idea. We might lose our beloved constitution in a runaway convention. Why is he saying he's protecting Roe versus Wade? And they go out and they find law professors at Harvard and Yale to write runaway convention law review articles. It's never been mentioned before in American history. And this is what turns a small portion of the conservative movement against it. Today in America, every single nationally recognized conservative that's commented on the Convention of States without exception, this is Limbaugh, Levin, Beck, Shapiro, Hannity, and down the line, have all said that they're in favor of it. And every single radical leftist group in America has signed a press release, over 250 of them led by Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, Common Cause. They've signed this press release saying they're against it. That includes Planned Parenthood, La Raza, Code Pink, MoveOn.org, Daily Cause, Socialist Party of America, you name it, all the bad organizations you can think of are opposed to this. So conservatives need to know this. If you line up against this, then you're against all the major conservatives in the United States of America, and you're with the baby killers and the communists and the Marxists, because that's how the battle lines have been drawn on this one on a national basis. Mark Meckler, I have to tell you, I never knew that story about Phyllis Schlafly. I did know that her organization, which she founded and is still very active today, are among the chief opponents. And they're the ones, when I had, I did a show, I don't know when it was, I was saying uh, convention stage was a great idea, and I, def I had a lot of people uh, who are friends of mine who are in it's a Eagle Forum was an yep. organization philosophies just saying no you don't understand it could, you don't know what's going to happen and I actually because normally I actually thought of Phyllis Schlafly who was herself a lawyer um, that yeah. she was probably pretty um, thoughtful she had really good reasons for what she was she was saying and her organization parroted them but the, I want to continue down the track of what, how things could go wrong or make something ask this question so. Say you get this convention of states, and you, you, have, you have enough people that are all together, and they come up with a specific thing about term limits, and a specific thing about, or many specific things uh, about term limits, and fiscal restraints, and uh, the jurisdiction, I, I love the jurisdiction issue too in the federal court, federal government. So say they come up with specific things, and then, so they have what they conclude, what they want, and then they have to take that, eventually have to get approval of three quarters of the legislatures, which is, I think, right. was that, um, 38. 38 right? states, 38, yep, yeah. that's correct. Okay, so what if some state says, what if one state says, I only like term limits, the rest of it I don't want. And some other state says, we only want fiscal restraints, but not term limits. The point is, do you have to get 38 states to agree on plank by plank by plank, or is it a, uh, you know, take it or leave it whole package? No, it's individual. Each one is a proposed amendment, and those are approved or rejected individually. So they can't do it in a package. Very much like the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights, actually, most people don't realize there were 12 proposals, and it wasn't called the Bill of Rights back then, but 12 proposals came out of Congress. They went out to the states to be ratified. And what we know is the Bill of Rights, only 10 of them were ratified. So they're always done individually. Okay, so you would eventually, to have any of these become actual amendments of the constitution you would have to have 38 states say yes on number one 
or, or I mean, say yes on, e on each individual thing, and all correct. those that did not get 38 votes fall by the wayside. Yeah, that's correct. That's exactly how it works. In fact, uh, in the original Bill of Rights was the 20, what we now know as the 27th Amendment. Uh, that one wasn't approved ultimately until uh, 19, I believe it was 1993. And so that one stuck around for a long time until they could get enough states on board. So there, one by one, that's the only way it works. Okay, so when you go to legislatures, because you're trying to now, your work in the convention states, you are make, and others for your organization, making presentations at legislatures. And um, first of all, how many do you have signed on now? Our 15 states have signed on. Another eight states have passed it in one house or another. You have to get both houses of the legislature. Uh, it's come out of committee in 30 states, and it's uh, 49 states have introduced the, the uh, resolution. Okay, so is there a time limit? Like if you don't get, I mean, the people who signed on first, is there, is there signing on lapse at some point? There actually isn't a time limit. I mean, a state can impose what's called a sunset clause. They can do that on any piece of legislation or resolution. Uh, we had two states that imposed sunset clauses. One was here in Texas. We expect that'll be removed in the next session. The other was Oklahoma and the Oklahoma legislature removed its sunset clause in this last se session. Okay, so you have 15 on, on board. You have to get to 34, and are you within each state, do you have people working for your organization pushing it at the legislature? I assume you do. Oh yeah, we're active in all 50 states. There are over 5 million people involved in the movement nationally. We've got people in every single state legislative district in the United States of America right now. We're very active in all the legislatures. Uh, in North Carolina, we've passed the House and we're moving in the Senate. In South Carolina, same thing, passed the House moving in the Senate. In Wisconsin, passed their assembly, which is their equivalent of the House moving in the Senate right now. Ohio looks really strong. Michigan, Pennsylvania, I just got back from Pennsylvania day before yesterday. We're looking very good in Pennsylvania. So there's a lot of action happening all across the country right now. So what's your estimate? Like if you just sat here today and said, what can you reasonably envision of when this might occur, this actual convention? Well, I would say my crystal ball is not very good, but I'll give you sort of the optimistic. And then when I look at the outside, uh, the way things are going right now and the momentum that I'm seeing, I would say could happen as early as late 2024, mainly because what's going on right now, I, we can't control the number of people coming into the organization. It's over a thousand people a day signing up for convention of states. When President Biden uh, announced his mandate, first day he announced it, over 20,000 people signed up for the organization. So the growth is phenomenal, very difficult just to keep up with the growth. So that gives me uh, a lot of hope and optimism. I would say at the outside, I'm shooting for 2028. Okay, and so if people hearing this, they say, wow, this is a great idea. How do they sign up? Yeah, they go to conventionofstates.com, sign the petition. That's the first step. That'll let your legislators know that you're in support. Even if you're a state that's passed, that's really important that we maintain support in those legislatures. Uh, and then click on the Take Action tab. If you click on the Take Action tab at conventionofstates.com, you can volunteer because it's not enough just to sign a petition. It's going to take people who are doing real stuff in order to save the country. People like you, Debbie, who are out there on the air talking about this, all this stuff. I know you're working in politics as well. So get involved. Go to conventionofstates.com, sign the petition, and then click on the Take Action tab. Actually, I want to say one more thing again, or repeat myself. I actually think the single biggest opposition, and I don't mean to, I don't want to end a negative note, but of what is really the Eagle Forum. There's a Absolutely. And that is the most bizarre story, and I actually wonder how many people in Eagle Forum realize that, that of all bizarreness, I can't even a better word, Phyllis Schlafly actually took her view of the Convention of the States from the Supreme Court Justice who backed and liked Roe versus Wade. Yeah, look, I, I would add one more thing to close, which is really interesting. Folks can go to our website, they can look up David Horowitz on our website, and he's written an article, he's done the documentary research on this, and he asks, what do Eagle Forum and Planned Parenthood have in common? And it's really a terrible indictment of Eagle Forum. I love Eagle Forum. I love most of what they stand for, but they are standing with the very worst people in the United States of America. They are standing with the baby killers in the United States of America to stop us from rescuing the country from, from its downfall. We're trying to restore the Constitution. They're trying to prevent that from happening. They've been misled by the guy that gave us Roe versus Wade. And, and I would beg of you, if you're a supporter of Eagle Forum, look into this. Don't just believe what you're being told. 
don't believe me, honestly. Go look at the documentary evidence. That letter exists. Phil Schlafly got her position from Chief Justice Warren Burger, the Chief Justice who signed Roe versus Wade. And frankly, Eagle Form should be a million miles away from that. They absolutely should. They absolutely should. And now the other thing that happens is, you know, and this is the reason we have this provision in the Constitution. If you talk about term limits, I mean, I can name one senator I know of who said, yeah, I think term limits are great. People say they believe in term limits when they run. They get into Congress or they get in the Senate and you can't get them out of there forever. I mean, it's so hard to remove incumbent. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I've in past times, I've looked at them and realized once someone has, especially once they made a second term, you cannot get them out of there. And the answer to people when I say, well, how else are you going to have term limits? They always say, well, leave it to the voters. Well, that hasn't gone very well. I mean, the voters, whatever reason, they aren't really voting for a guy they like or a woman they like. They're voting for the name they know of. And so I, there is no other way in which I'm aware in America to get term limits. If we got fiscal restraints, which could certainly have would be really great if we had that right now, actually, given what the Washington is doing. <laughs> and then also yeah. the scope and jurisdiction of the federal government. I mean, these are things every patriotic, conservative American should be jumping up and down cheering for. So I commend you on those topics. Okay, any last points before we rock and roll here? Yeah, I think that this is what I would close with. If not now, when? The founders put this in here. They told us the time would come when the federal government became a tyranny and that you and I would have to restrain it. They didn't expect the federal government to restrain itself. They understood human nature. Today, Marxists are in the White House. They're in control of the Senate. They're in control of the House of Representatives. They're sitting on the federal bench all over the country. They're certainly controlling our educational institutions, our cultural institutions. If you and I aren't gonna stand up and use the tools that the founders gave us now, then when? And lastly, what else are we going to do? I keep hearing, let's vote, let's elect good people. And my question is, how's that working out for us? We should always do that. We should elect the best people we can, but that is clearly not enough. So now is the time for Convention of States. Mark Meckler, thank you so much. I'm so glad I ran into you at that meeting a few months ago. So glad you're available to join me, and I thank you so very much. Thank you, Debbie. appreciate you. Great to see you, sir. Okay, one last topic I'm going to hit today. I've lost track of time. Okay, so I do have time for this. Okay, before I hit my last topic, I'm gonna to ask Mr. Becker, um, who is my new producer. He's not even new then. He, yeah, he's, he's still new. So Mr. Becker, my new producer. Um, I recently was at a meeting in Tulsa of talk show hosts, and it was really good in many bases. Uh, and one of the things they were talking about is, you know, when you do a talk show like mine, you can have donors, which we do. If you like to donate to this show, God bless you. Go to americancanwetalk.org, hit that donate button, and make a donation to keep this show rolling. You can also join America Can We Talk on the same website, americancanwetalk.org. That members tab, you hit, hit members across the top, hit join. Uh, you, you can pay a minimum of $5 a month or $50 a year. You can certainly pay more than $50, we'll take it. But those are ways I've been trying to raise money to, to support doing this show, because it's very expensive to do. We've already informed our children we're spending their inheritance. But there is also the possibility of supporting a show like mine by buying something you might actually want. At this meeting I was at of talk show hosts um, a few weeks ago, a month ago now, um, I actually got to meet Mike Lindell. I've met him one other time, Mr. My Pillow. And he is a guy who has no you know, skin in the game in terms of elections, wasn't even particularly a political guy, but he has been on a mission to try to expose to America, have more people understand the election fraud that occurred in 2020. And as he tries to bring that story out, of course, he's vilified, pilloried, and his company, My Pillow, which makes fabulous products, has been removed from the shelves of the, the major uh, big, 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 big box stores, uh, as well as the uh, kind of major retailers many of you would probably go to to buy, you know, sheets and pillowcases and all of their products. And so MyPillow.com is now offering, there he is, Mike Lindell, they're now offering for people like me, talk shows like mine, to, a, it's a great way, you can go to MyPillow.com, you pick the items you, may, you wanna purchase, you use the promo code Debbie G, you see at the bottom right of what you're looking at, Debbie G, the promo code gives you up to 66% off on everything, uh, up to 66%, meaning what depends what product you're purchasing, or different 
specials they have going on and they ship right to your house. And I can tell you, they ship so fast, it kind of surprised me when I order some things. I will only tell you the products I know about. We don't have a dog, even though I love dogs. We don't have a dog, so I've not checked out the dog pillow. What I can tell you, I know completely high quality, great quality products, the towels. We have, I've gotten, I think I told you the other day, I fessed up, I've got a little carried away ordering towels, but they have the big bath sheet size. They're actually remarkably absorbent. You know, sometimes you buy towels, this happens with kitchen towels, like dish towels. They have a cute design, so you buy them, you get them home, and you realize that you're still rubbing the plate and the plate is still wet. Okay, that is not what my pillow uh, towels are like. My pillow towels are absorbent, they are soft, they have great colors, they have the big bath sheet size that I like and regular size, and you can get those at great sale prices. Also, his signature initial product, my pillow, uh, he has lovely pillows, fabulous pillows, you know, in regular queen and king size. We have bought, we have replaced all the pillows in our house. I mean, they are, they are really wonderful. And, uh, and, and right now they're at a great, great sale price. And so cannot urge you strong enough, go to my pillow, get the, and oh, we got bathrobes, we got bathrobes. Um, my husband and I each got a bathrobe and they're completely, I mean, they're just, they're just wonderful. So high quality products uh, by a guy who is standing up for America, who's being censored and pilloried uh, by the uh, retailers in this country, corporate America. So you can support him and his work. You can get great products. You can get them at a discount and you can support this show. What a way to support America. Please go to mypillow.com, put in that promo code Debbie G and buy yourself new pillows, whatever else you might want. Oh, we got the slippers too. We got slippers, really, really great slippers. In fact, I went for a walk the other day in our neighborhood kind of forgot I had on slippers because they, they are soft and comfortable, but the bottom is, you know, like a rubber hard, like you could like, you like sneakers, right? You can walk in them. So anyway, go to my pillow, help out the show, help out, um, uh, Mr. My Pillow, uh, Mike Lindell. Okay. Last quick topic for the day. I keep trying to tell you that in America, we are watching the Marxist takeover of America. And I do not say that lightly. I do not say that it's not hyperbole. It is not exaggeration. It is not anything other than straight out factual evaluation of what is happening to our country. We have the southern border completely abandoned. I mean, just completely abandoned. No country does that if you're trying to keep your country strong and free and sovereign. We have such out of control spending, in fact, on Monday next week, I am going to bring in and share with you what was in that infrastructure bill that passed uh, with the help of 13 traitorous Republicans who should be, by the way, removed from all committees, no committee chairmanships, no committee roles. They should have, no, they should be punished. Mark Meadows has been saying this too. Anyway, I will tell you about on Monday what's in that because that infrastructure bill, very little is infrastructure. Much of it is just what you do, the Marxist dream of how you take over a country. I'll tell you about it on Monday. But in addition to abandoning the border and flying in illegal aliens who come over the border with no right to be here, no COVID check, no, no right to be here, and our government is placing them on planes and flying them around the country and dropping them off places, you know, seeding them into the population who will eventually, they hope, become part of the voting population when they can finally get their amnesty bill through. You have a government that is in every way destroying America, driving up, uh, intentionally driving up prices of gasoline and oil, inflation out of control, and yet this government has a uh, policy, you likely know, the first or second day Biden was president, he got rid of the Keystone Pipeline, and he now has a nominee. In case you think I'm exaggerating when I say, I say Marxist because I think it's, it's a good term, but it's communist. Let me just tell you about a woman that President Biden is trying to get the Senate to confirm. She has uh, been nominated for the Office of the Controller of the Currency, OCC, Office of the Control of the Currency. It's a branch of the Treasury Department that polices about 1,100 banks, 1,100 banks. This woman happens to be Chinese by background, doesn't make her a bad person, but her resume does make her a bad person. 
She has no, there's no conceivable way someone who loved America, free markets, freedom, capitalism, this woman is, is the opposite of all of that. So she's been nominated. She actually literally is from Kazakhstan in the former Soviet Union. She graduated from the Moscow State University in 1991. So her schooling is Moscow State University, which is just simply, I, I don't even know what to say about that, but I want to tell you something about her. She, her graduate thesis, this is her graduate thesis, was Karl Marx's economic analysis and the theory of revolution in the capital. She's a Karl Marx supporter, communist, being nominated by Joe Biden to serve for, as the Office of the Control of the Currency. And I want now to have Mr. Becker play a statement she made, got caught on tape saying. For certain uh, troubled industries and firms that are in transitioning. And here what I'm thinking about is primarily coal industry and oil and gas industry. A lot of the smaller players in that industry are uh, going to probably uh, go bankrupt in, in, in short order. At least we want them to go bankrupt if we want to tackle climate change, right? She's admitting, I, I mean, people, she's admitting she wants oil and gas and coal companies to go bankrupt. She's a flat, and, and by the way, which every time I tell you this, I feel like I have to go back, harken back. Years ago, Rush Limbaugh said that the climate change movement, the environmental movement was the new home of the socialist communist movement in America. At the time, I was a little more naive than I am now. And I thought, that's not true. These are people who just love climate, you know, they're into nature. This, the environmental climate change, formerly global warming, now climate change movement is just a ruse. It is just a vehicle, just a method, a tactic for socialists and communists to take over what they always wanted to take over, which is power over the rest of us. Climate change is not in itself, that it is, uh, fixing the climate is not the agenda. Gaining control over all sorts of industries and people all over the world is the goal of the climate change movement. So, get what she's saying. She's going to be, in, she's trying to get this position, agreeing to go uh, up before the Senate for this position. And she actually says, well, yeah, we're going to have to get rid of these oil and coal and gas companies. Why? Acknowledging this is Biden's person wants them to go bankrupt. So when you look around, you see oil prices, gas prices going up. You see more and more people uh, lamenting because when gas prices go up, be perfectly clear, it's a tax on poor people. I mean, the wealthy, the you know middle class-ish or higher middle class, they can pay more for gas. They may not like it, but they can do it. But when you're poor and you need to buy gas to get in your car, to drive from wherever you live to your job and drive back and forth because you can't commute from home and you can't be Mr. Zoom meeting at home. You've got a, 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 a you know an actual a job in labor where you have to physically be there and do that. Those people, they're the ones hurt most. And by the way, so you have to understand, this is destruction of the energy uh, industry in America, intentional destruction. So Biden, to make up for the fact that he's destroying the economy and destroying the energy industry, has been pestering OPEC to please lower your prices, please give us more. Recall, at the end of the Trump administration, at the end of his first term, we were actually energy independent. We had achieved energy independence in America because we're actually willing to use the resources we have. So you have Biden cutting off Keystone Pipeline. I actually think, by the way, they got caught in a little lie. Um, they, there was talk that the Biden administration was also considering shutting down yet another pipeline. I think it was in Michigan. Yeah, Line 5, Pipeline 5 in Michigan. Um, and uh, there was a lot of commotion. People were saying, wait, what, what are you, you can't cut that off too, come on. And given that he, they got so much pushback and people are extremely upset about the inflation. It's not just gas prices, you know, it's milk, it's food, it's basic things you gotta buy. And you, you, this is Jimmy Carter all over again. This is who Biden is, only he's not really running it. The Marxist cabal that has taken over the Democrat party is really running America. But 
you have in America, people suffering, people getting concerned, you know, winter's coming, we're gonna need enough energy to keep the, heat, the you know, homes heated, keep people warm. And you see the Biden administration cavalierly talking about, yeah, we're thinking about shutting down open. Well, shortly after acknowledging, first saying they were actually going to try to shut down Pipeline 5, uh, our same White House spokesperson, Karine Jean-Pierre, um, she did say one day that they uh, told reporters the administration was studying the impact of shutting down the pipeline. That was on Monday. But then Tuesday, so yesterday, she uh, said, no, nah, no, nah, that, that, that's not really right. And she went off in some explanation about some dispute between Michigan and the, and the treaty they have with Canada and, you know, trying to tamp it down. These people, you have to understand, the primary goal of leftists is always to control every single aspect of your life. It is why you see America, you, you have the left engaging in policy after policy after policy after policy designed to create chaos, intentionally creating chaos, intentionally creating fear, massively overstating the danger from COVID, justifying COVID passports, COVID you know, requirements, mandates that you can't work at your job or go to the, your favorite restaurant unless you're complying with what they want. You have in COVID, you have abandonment of the border, you have gas prices going through the roof, you have massive spending. And, and on so many fronts, what the left is doing, this administration is doing, is about bringing down America. And another way they're doing that, and we'll talk about that tomorrow on my very special Thursday show, tomorrow being Veterans Day, we're going to have joining us Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. He was the Space Force commander who was a, I mean, he's an Air Force guy, served in the Air Force, rose to the rank of being a commander in the Space Force. And he wrote a book about how Marxism is invading and destroying America's military. And he did first before he published it. He went up the chain of command explaining these are really bad things we're doing here. Uh, you know, all the social justice warrior, critical race theory, uh, just dividing the ranks along uh, of, of the military along the lines of race, uh, engendering suspicion, distrust. I mean, just, just if you're trying to destroy the military, you couldn't even do a better job than Biden is doing. So you had this guy, Lohmeyer, write a book after exhausted chain of command, writes a book, and of course, uh, he's no longer in the military. They, let, they uh, relieved him of his command. So he's out speaking up about uh, what's happening to America's military. I cannot urge you strongly enough in wrapping up the show today to say this. Tomorrow's show on Veterans Day, I can guarantee you, will be extraordinary. If you're not a member yet of America Can We Talk, join today. Go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. On the home page, it has members. Click on members. Go to join. You click on and you can join $5 a month, $50 a year. And I'm telling you, it is the best plan. You will not want to miss tomorrow's show, uh, a beautiful way to celebrate Veterans Day. Listen to this veteran talking about how you really save um, the military, which is you have to root the Marxism back out of it. So closing out this point about energy, this latest you know, energy uh, battle, uh, the pipeline that they were talking about shutting down, and they said, okay, wait, never mind about that. The person Biden is nominating to serve in a senior position in the administration, who is a communist who got her degree at the University of Moscow and wrote a thesis praising Marx, this is who they're putting in place. And I want to ask you this as I go to wrap up, because I know I'm sure it's about time to wrap up. I want to ask you this. If you have friends who still think that it was, you know, we had to get rid of Trump and so because he did mean tweets and so, you know, uh, I don't like everything about Biden, but, you know, uh, at least he's, he's, Joe doesn't do mean tweets. I want you to start pr provoking your friends, confronting them, asking them, saying, you know, what do you think is the reason, what is the reason that the, this administration won't enforce the southern border? That they've abandoned it, really. They, they, it's a complete abandonment. We, the southern border is not really a border. It's just, you know, an invisible line in the dirt. And we, we have illegal aliens flooding through. Why? What administration that actually loves America, wants to preserve it, would do that? It's time to start pushing back, not against your radical leftist friends who might be globalists and who might say, yeah, I love no borders. I don't care about borders. But your reasonable, patriotic American friends. 
I mean, it, it's time. We have more people recognizing, as you're just hearing from Mark Meckler, once they see what Biden is doing to our country, you have more people joining Convention of States wanting to somehow rein in this out of control of federal government. But out of control isn't really, out of control can sound kind of a silly phrase, like little kids, a little too wound up and out of control in the playground. This is, we are watching the Marxist takedown of America. That's what we're watching right before our eyes, right before our eyes. I gave a speech last night. Um, I said that, and I'm telling you, the audience is nodding along. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I said to someone after, or you know, before, she said, what are you going to talk about? I said, well, I'm going to talk about the Marxist takeover of America. And I had other things. And, and then I said, I, I really want to encourage people to ask their friends who don't think that's what's happening, how do you explain all of these horrible, chaotic, ridiculous, outrageous, lawless policies and, and you know she was saying I, I don't know anyone who doesn't think this is the Marxist takeover everyone can understand that already so not everyone not everyone understands but more people will and part of our job as patriots beside all I'm sure you are doing supporting candidates making phone calls and signing petitions and going to marches it's really to engage in that person-to-person -person advocacy with your friends not your crazy leftist friends, but your friends who are, you know, moderate, love America, maybe didn't like Trump too much, engage with them. Ask them to assess what do you think is really happening and why is this happening? Why do you think it's happening? Because we need to get more people on board to recognize, you know, we have election fraud completely on, you know, we, we have some say a very minor job in making some corrections that try to try to get after election fraud. We haven't even begun no state has actually begun the effort to really correct the underlying problems with election fraud. No state has. You have some corrections, some good things, it's a start. But what I'm getting at is, if you aren't speaking up to your friends and, and asking them to think about what, they, what is happening and why, ask them what they, how, how is this ever going to change? And, and, and are you really okay with not having a border? Are you really okay with you know, vaccine passports and, and, and COVID mandates, uh, you know, vaccine mandates for Americans and literally in the millions now flooding through our southern border, most of them not checked for COVID and wandering around America. How, how does that make sense? It is time to confront in a polite but thoughtful, well-informed way your friends, your colleagues to ask them, how do you justify what's happening? Because my friends, I'll tell you in wrapping up, there's no justification and there's no explanation for what the left is doing to America, except it is we're watching the overtaking of America, the, the destruction of the concept of America rooted in freedom, freedom of the individual. The whole construct of America is under assault by the, the anti-American left, by the Biden administration and the cabal behind them is really running it all. That's what's happening right in front of our faces. The sooner we recognize it, the more people we recognize it, the more active we get, the sooner we have a chance to save this country. Because I do, I do talk to people, conservatives who are extremely astute, who've been following everything, saying, you know, it's over. I don't know what you're even talking about. We, we, the country's gone. We can never accept that. Never, never, never accept that. Stand up and fight for America every day. I close this show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started in the beginning. We had ignore that court order. And that was um, Biden's uh, temporary press secretary uh, tells businesses to proceed with vaccine mandates in defiance of the Fifth Circuit's temporary restraining order, which warned in very serious terms grave statutory and constitutional issues with the mandate. And my friends, this will get to the Supreme Court, and this will be a test whether we have any rule of law left in the Supreme Court. This is abject defiance of the rule of law. It mocks the Constitution, separation of powers. It is a raw exercise of amoral power, and protests are increasing, meaning it's not like the government thinks everybody loves this. People are trying around the country to find lawful ways to say, we don't want to be subject to these kinds of orders. The masks are off and any subtlety is gone. The Biden cabal is tearing down America and its security and its freedom right before our very eyes. 
border abandonment, military weakening and demoralizing, crazed spending, vax passports and mandates, driving oil and gas prices and inflation through the roof, bullying their way along. Is the sleeping giant, feared by the Japanese in 1941, the American people, awake yet? And Biden Treasury Department nominee um, Omarava says the quiet part out loud. I'm sure she didn't want this to go public. She stated on video that the intent of the Biden administration is to use the Treasury Department to bankrupt oil, coal, and natural gas companies. Omarova is a graduate of Moscow State University in Russia. Her graduate thesis, Karl Marx's economic analysis and the theory of revolution in the capital, a straightforward communist ideologue. Anyone who still believes Biden is a moderate is delusional. Fighting climate change has always been just a tool for leftists and totalitarians. How much more of this will the American people take? And that, my very fine friends, is my show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do this show because I love America. I love the American people. I think that they are, we have a nation filled with good and noble people who deserve to continue to live in liberty, who do not deserve what this administration is doing to our country. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can you hear us now? America Can We Talk? Truth about America.